I know it's difficult because many of you get off work and you can't get here. But at 6.15, we're praying for half an hour. And what we've been doing is more prophetic worship in our prayer. And and, uh, and it's good. So I invite you. It's not for just a select few. Amen? Amen. When I went to Ramah, um, I was raised Methodist, but... Basically, I was a backslid Methodist, and I wasn't really interested in God till I had an encounter with God in, in the charismatic revival back in the 70s, late 70s. And so I went to Ramah, and there were three things that this young preacher years ago um, had revelation of just by going for two years. These three things, number one, Spiritual authority and the fivefold ministry gift. I had no idea or clue that there was a fivefold ministry. And I got revelation of that and the authority that they carried. And then number two was I had a heart to serve a fivefold ministry gift. So servanthood. But the third thing that was, was so powerful that every new believer. And as we get new believers in and they come out of the world, they get born again, spirit-filled, this has to be foundational in their life. They have to know their spirit, they have a soul, and they live in a body. Because if you don't have revelation of that truth, you're going to struggle. Amen? So come on up here, Mike, and do your thing. We'll pray here quick. Once I find my spot and I'm all settled. All right, let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. Your word says when two or three are gathered together in your name, Lord, that you are there amongst them. So I thank you, Jesus, that you're here tonight. Your presence is among us, and we're just so thankful for your presence and the opportunity to come spend time in your presence. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you would lead us and guide us this night. I thank you that you would comfort every heart and mind in here with your peace. And I thank you for your word to go out into every heart, every soul and mind, Lord. Um, And help us, Lord, to grow in understanding of you, of your word, of your spirit, and of our spirit, soul, and body, Lord. We give you all the honor and all the glory this night. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first off, I originally was going to teach on praying in tongues, Um, because praying in tongues is such a powerful gift and sign for believers, and I feel like there's been a big misunderstanding uh, among so many Christians when it comes to praying in tongues. Um, I mean, you you mentioned the word spirit to some believers and Christians out there, and it just like, it almost offends them that you're talking about the spirit and stuff. Um, But before I... I wanted to get into praying in tongues. I think the Holy Spirit led me to the importance of the spirit, soul, and body, and we have to understand that before we can come into grasp 
um, an understanding of praying in tongues, the gifts of the Spirit, and all that stuff. Um, so uh, I'm going to talk about the Spirit tonight. Originally, I was going to do Spirit, Soul, and Body, but once I started writing about the Spirit, I realized that uh, this could go on and on and on for years, and there's not enough time ever to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Spirit. So uh, tonight, we're just going to talk about the Spirit, and then probably follow up next Wednesday and so on on the soul and body and then praying in tongues. So again, to understand praying in tongues, to understand how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, to know the voice of our own spirit man, and to better understand the gifts of the Spirit, signs, wonders, and miracles, we have to know this basic truth. We have to know the basic fundamental truth that we are spirit beings. We have a soul which is made up of our mind, our will, and emotions, also known as our flesh, and that we live in a physical body. So if you will, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23. And I already regret not bringing my bigger Bible, so I'm going to have to do this two-handed here. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May him may uh may he sanctify you completely, your whole spirit being. So Abel's singing about this and prophesying about this Sunday about consecrating ourselves. We can't just be consecrated spiritually only. We can't just consecrate our soul, our body. We need our entire whole being to be consecrated, spirit, soul, and body. So we know we have a spirit. Um, we know that when we die, that our physical body doesn't go to heaven or hell. Our soul doesn't go, but it's our spirit that goes. So we know we're spirit beings. Um, We've heard mom and dad teach on this. We've heard and read Kenneth Hagin teach on the spirit, soul, and body and other pastors. And the more I've read and studied on this subject and listened to ministers teach on it, the more I've come to realize how important it is to know the difference between spirit and soul and to know how our spirit man operates and to know how the Holy Spirit speaks to and through our spirit. So a few weeks ago, I was over in the South Building getting some of my duck decoys ready to go for hunting season. And I decided to step into Dad's library. And I was looking for something regarding spirit, soul, and body. And I kind of came across this little gem. And it's uh, by Dr. Lester Summerall. I'm sure most of you know who he is. And it was a series on the spirit, the soul, and the body, which is the total man. So tonight, a lot of what I've been writing on has come out of this book. Um, So much good stuff regarding the spirit. I haven't gotten to the soul and the body yet. But just so you know, I'm sourcing, I'm citing my source. I grew up in public school, and if we didn't cite our sources, man, you better watch out, because them teachers are going to come after you. So, Beth, I'm citing my source, okay? Anyways, uh, I believe this subject is not taught enough in the church as a whole, uh, especially in America. Um, not just this church, but the church as a whole. And because most Christians have never been taught on their spirit, how to be led by the spirit or live in their spirit, the result is we have millions of Christians who live off of their soulish nature and emotions. And this is why so many Christians 
have as many issues and problems as they do. I know it's a hard fact, but it's the truth. And this is why so many are so easily deceived. In his book, The Human Spirit by Dr. Lester Summerall, he says of the people I meet, possibly 90% of Christians still live in their soulish nature. This is especially true in the area of their intellect and emotions. If you're going to live in the area area of your emotions and be controlled by them, you will be like a little leaf on the water constantly tossed back and forth. That is coming from a man who was in the ministry for decades, who traveled and lived all around the world, saw signs, wonders, and miracles, is probably in contact with hundreds if not millions of Christians his entire ministry. And he's saying 90% of Christians still live in their soulish nature. And I can guarantee to this day that percentage remains the same, if not has increased. So growing up as a PK, pastor's kid, both me and Caleb can tell you through the years, the people who are led by the Spirit of God, they understand living in the Spirit, um, are usually ones who plant their roots in a church and stay planted. They spiritually, or they mature spiritually, they grow in faith, they serve and lead, they can handle correction, they understand authority, and usually gifts will flow through them. Okay, Abe, I'm going to use you because I know you won't be offended, but Abe is a great example of maturing spiritually. And when he does something and mom and dad come to him and correct him, he handles it awesome. He might be upset for a day or something, but you're mature and you get over it and you move on, right? So that's a sign of spiritual maturity and being led by the Spirit. But in my observations, the people who come in and live in their soulish nature and run off of their emotions are typically ones who will come to the church for a short while, get offended over minor things, and leave. These people typically can't handle when the Spirit of God moves. They can't handle correction. Typically, they don't understand spiritual authority. The result is they don't get plugged in, their emotions are offended, and they leave. This is exactly what Satan wants right now in this nation and across the world regarding the church. He wants you in your soulish nature. He wants you living in your emotions constantly because it's so much easier to be tossed to and fro like a leaf in the wind, just like Dr. Lester all summer all said. It's so much easier to be deceived by all the doctrines of the world when you're constantly in your flesh. As Christians, we need to live in the spirit and understand the different portions of our spirit. If you want to understand the difference between the works of the flesh and of the Spirit, read Galatians 5 over and over. You can open there if you want to, otherwise I'll read it. Chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the, lust, for the flesh lusts, lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So Christians who have only lived in their soulish nature and emotions typically typically come into a church where the Spirit of God moves, and typically they can't handle the move of the Spirit. Why is that? Because the flesh lusts against the Spirit. All they have done is live in their flesh and their soulish nature. They experience the Spirit, the move of the Spirit, and the, it, it offends their flesh. They can't handle it, right? They get upset and they leave. So I have an example of this. I'm not going to name names or anything in case hopefully this person doesn't listen to the recording. But about a year ago, I had this person who was in a class with me, and she followed. this person followed me on Facebook and started messaging me, and it was very clear she was interested in getting to know me, I'll just say. But I wasn't very interested myself. I was very nice about it. 
Well, she got the picture. A few weeks later, all of a sudden I get the message, hey, what church do you go to? And it became very clear she wasn't necessarily interested in our church as much as she probably was chasing after me. This person was very religious and very intellectual. She'd come to church a few times, and, you know, every time after church I'd get a message, and it'd just be criticizing church. You guys worship really loud, and, and this and that. And your dad's eccentric, and it's like, all right, well, yeah, thanks. Anyways, so the one day she after church, she, this person asked about prayer on Wednesday night, and me not being probably making the best spiritually mature decision, I didn't mention anything that we pray in tongues, even though Dad had been preaching that we pray in tongues. And, well, I'm my mom's own child, and I enjoy uh, making religious people angry. So I didn't say nothing, you know. I just was like, yeah, you know, we pray for our community, we pray for our nation. Well, this person shows up Wednesday night, and we're praying in tongues very, very loudly that night. After service, she beelined it to the door, and I could tell, man, by her body language, she wasn't about it, Um, and she was pretty upset about it. Pretty soon, I got a novel. I got a novel message talking about why praying in tongues is so wrong, and it's just gibberish, And, and she made this comment that made it very clear to me she didn't understand spirit versus soul, and this is the point I want to get across with the story. She said, I felt it down in my soul. Well, I guarantee that she did feel it down in her soul because if she does not know the difference between spirit and soul and all she's done is live in her flesh, live in her soul, the spirit is going to offend her flesh. It's going to offend her soul. Okay, Our spirit is our inner dwelling. It's our belly. And the way she was talking about it was that it was down in her soul. Our soul is our mind, right? Um, mind, will, and emotions. So it was very clear she didn't, this person didn't understand the difference between spirit and soul. So that's just my example of that. Um, but before I get off going on tongues and stuff, back to spirit, soul, and body. Okay, Genesis one twenty seven says, God created man in his own image. We know that God is a spirit being. We're made in his image. We know we are a spirit being. God is a three-in-one, right? He's three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just like him, we are, he has made us into three parts. We are spirit, soul, and body. Dr. Lester Lester Summerall says, Our soul is also made up of three parts, will, mind, and emotions. And our spirit is also made up of three compartments. One is intuition. Two is communion. Uh, Communion is fellowship with the Father and Jesus. And number three is our conscience. Our conscience is that inner witness to the word of God. So the body and soul are subject to death because of sin, but the spirit is the substance of God. Um, Okay, so let's start off by going through the three different parts of the spirit. So the first part of the spirit is our intuition. Okay, I've always read and heard about intuition Um, But for whatever reason, I never connected it to our spirit um, until I started reading and listening more about the spirit. Intuition, Intuition is knowing something without having to think it out compared to our soul where we try to intellectually think things out and figure things out. Okay, um... 
So if you know people that are super, super into theology, this is my example with this. The problem with getting so deep into theology is that theology can become very intellectual and trying to constantly figure things out, best explain things. Um, I made friends with a guy from Omaha who's a Reformed Christian. I don't really understand what the Reform's all about, but they're all into theology, just theology, theology, theology. The problem with theology is, again, it's all mental, it's mind it's trying to figure things out with our own wisdom. If you try to witness to someone on the streets and talk to them about Jesus and all you have is theology, you're just going to come off religious. There's not going to be any power behind it. We're called to know God by our spirit. Um, compared to you witness to someone, usually theology too. I'm not saying there's anything bad. We need to know our word. We need to know the scripture very well. But if that's all you go off of is theology, for one, you're just going to be in constant debates with people over the Bible. But compared to you see someone who's lost, who's hurting, you want to witness to them, you go and pray for them, and they're healed from a sickness. They're healed from a disease. They're, they see a miracle. They see a demon cast out. They're seeing the power of God. That is going to move them spiritually and stir them and show them the power of God. Okay, so all I'm saying is that we can't always try to be so mental about things. We have to constantly be listening to our spirit and be led by our spirit. Kenneth Hagin said, your intuition is the voice of your spirit. So being a firearm instructor, being within the self-defense and personal protection realm, we talk a lot about intuition because it's that little voice within us um, that comes up out of our gut when something isn't right. I'm sure you've all been in a situation where you're like, just something doesn't feel quite right with this person. Something doesn't feel quite right with this situation. Okay, so it's not so much a gut feeling as it is. That's the voice of your spirit. That's your intuition talking to you. And it comes up out of our belly or our heart. Um, so John, if you want to go to John 7, verses 38. is my work Bible. Everybody makes fun of my nice little Bible I carry, but it's where I got all my underlines and everything. So John 7, verse 38. I need to go one more page. Jesus is speaking. He says, Who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Some translations will say out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So it comes up out of our belly or our heart, that inner witness that's within us. Okay, um, It's that voice that tells you to avoid a certain person or to wait and go. For example... Uh, you're going to go to the bank, but something within you tells you to wait and go a different day. And you find out later that that bank was robbed when you were going to go there and people were murdered. If you remember the bank robbing in Norfolk like 20 years ago, Vicki Repke, who used to come to church here, was on her way to the bank when that was about to happen and something in her told her to turn around and go home. So she turned around and went home and ended up living because of it. Okay, that's that intuition within us, that voice within us, that inner witness. Um, or another example, your intuition tells you to drive a different direction to work, and later you find out there's a terrible accident at the intersection you typically go through on the way to work. So we need to become more sensitive to that inner witness within us, that intuition. 
Through your spirit or intuition, you can know evil that nobody else knows about. You can meet a person and know more about him than the person knows about himself. God will speak through your spirit about that person. I'm sure we've all heard about and talked about knowing people by their spirits, right? So you can know someone by their spirit, not just their outward appearance. You can know evil and goodness by just coming into its presence. So a couple examples of knowing people by the spirit. Um, Nancy, you might need to help me out with this one. But the last speaker we had at the country club, um, who's from Arizona, yeah, from Arizona. Yep, yep. So he was speaking at the country club, and there was just something I was drawn to him. I liked him. He had a good spirit about himself. And as he began talking, I could just tell by his spirit he was a Christian, right? And eventually, you know, he started saying some things that made it very obvious he was a Christian. Um, but there was just something in my spirit I could discern that he was probably born again pretty soon. I'm like, well, this guy's spirit-filled. I could just tell. When you're around spirit-filled believers, they have more boldness to them when they're speaking the word, talking about the word, talking about the gospel. All throughout the book of Acts, when it talks about they were filled with the spirit, typically after that it'll say, and with power, and with faith, and with boldness, right? So when you're filled with the spirit, you are given an extra, uh, extra boldness, extra faith to preach, to pray for the sick, to cast out demons, all these different things. Well, then it turns out Abe was interviewing him and talking to him, and he was a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. So you can know people by the spirit. You can know goodness. You know evil. An example of coming into the presence of evil, um, when we were in Council Bluffs at Hank's uh, conference, we were out to eat, Mom, Dad, and I, uh, just right there by the event center, and we walked in, the waitress led us to our table, excuse me, um, and right next to our table, there was this man sitting there. He's probably in his upper 60s, early 70s, and thank you guys, I'll just keep the whole box. Of course, yeah, of course, it just started running right before this, so that's nice. Devil's trying to slow me down. No. Uh, anyways, there's this guy sitting next to the table the waitress brought us to, upper 60s, early 70s. And what just there's just something immediately that I did not like about the guy. There's just a disgusting presence about him. And right across from him that was sitting with him was this young Asian woman, probably in her 20s. And immediately I knew that something was not right with that situation. And the more we sat there, the more I was reading the situation and looking at it, I knew either this guy was with a prostitute or this girl was being sex trafficked or he was a pimp or something. But I just knew something was wrong. Uh, you could read her body language. She had her head down. She never made eye contact. This guy was being extra friendly with the waitresses. Hey there, sweetheart. And just being, it just, you know, it's usually a cover for the creep that they are, right? And, the more we watched, the more I knew something was wrong. I had to say something. So I pulled the waitress aside when she came to our table. I asked her if I could tell her something. She probably was getting creeped out. I was going to hit on her or give her my number or something. But anyways, I was like, hey, do you know the situation with that older man and, you know, young girl? And she goes, no. And I was like, 
well, there's just something not, not right with that situation. I've just been watching it, and I can sense within me something's not right. And he, she goes, well, did you hear something, you know, out of the ordinary? And I said, no, but just based off her body language. Um, and one time she looked up, and I could see it in her eyes, right? They say their people's eyes are with the road to their soul, right? And you could just see the hurt in her eyes, the dark around her eyes, that something was wrong. And I told her, I said, I don't know what your policy is as a restaurant, what you can do. I don't think the police, if you call them, are going to do a whole lot. But I just wanted to bring this to your attention. Uh, so if you guys do decide to call the police, you can do something about it. Well, she was very appreciative of me saying something. And from that moment on, every lady waitress in that place was on those two in that corner, trying to read it, trying to figure it out. Um, and there was nothing much more we could do. But um, I knew those ladies were going to handle it because any time a lady sees a woman being mistreated, you know, they're going to do something about it. But afterwards, we were talking about it, Mom, Dad, and I, and Dad made the comment about the second that we got to our table and he saw that guy. He just had an utter disgust within his spirit. He did not want to sit at that table. There was just a spirit about this guy that was creepy. It was not good, right? So what is that? That is our intuition. That is our spirit telling us that something is not right with that situation. It's that knowing of evil and goodness by just coming into its presence. In this day and age, we need to become more spiritually aware. So my little term I made up for it is called spiritual situational awareness, right? The instructor in me. We need to become more spiritually discerned. We need to become more aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. We need to become more aware of our spirit, its voice, aware of other people's spirit. Because if we're going to know people, we need to know them by their spirits and not just their outward appearance. In the days ahead during the great outpouring during the harvest we're going to experience as people come in the church, as we're surrounded by people out in the world, we should not judge them based off what they look like. Um, Sorry, I lost my place. We need to know them by the Spirit because not everyone God's going to use in the days ahead might look the nicest, might smell the cleanest or sound the best. But if you focus on those things, you won't discern their spirit. How someone might look or sound won't stop God's anointing on their life. If we're aware of people around us in the natural realm with our physical eyesight, if we could then hook up our spiritual awareness or discernment with that, we're going to be able to not only see the physical needs of the people, but their spiritual needs and gifts as well. So I encourage you to, to really take time to listen to your intuition, to listen to your inward witness in man. So along with those things, through your spirit or your intuition, you'll begin to know God in a way others don't know him. To the average believer, to the average person, God is just a big man upstairs, but to you, as someone who's aware of your spirit, who walks in the spirit, he's not just a man, and he's not just upstairs, but he's inside of you. He'll be bigger to you and magnified in your life. So in Acts chapter 10, 44, verses 44 through 46, uh, Peter is at Cornelius' house. He's ministering to Cornelius, his family, his household. And it says, as they were, he was ministering to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and they began speaking in other tongues and magnifying God. 
Okay, first or yeah, so they begin speaking in tongues and magnifying God. So speaking in tongues, it magnifies God. When you pray in the Spirit, you pray in tongues, God is magnified in your life. The word magnify means to make bigger. So God is going to be bigger in your life. Okay, this is a powerful gift, our intuition, our spirit, because we can know things that others don't know. So can you see how that would affect every single realm or mountain we go into? Your business, your job, your career, politics, government. Okay, as Zach, I don't know if he's listening back there. As Zach is sitting in front of hundreds of people on a crowd up on stage debating someone, the Holy Spirit or his intuition, the Holy Spirit gives his spirit utterance, and he can know something without even intellectually knowing it. So as he's speaking, he can bring something up uh, that the other person might not know, a fact or whatever. Um, to someone like Kaylee working in the hospital as a doctor or a nurse, she could be in there on the surgery area. The doctor, the nurse might run into an issue or problem they can't solve. And something within Kaylee, her intuition tells her the answer to the problem, and she's able to solve it just like that. Okay, so First John 2.20 says, You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Well, intellectually, in our brain, it's hard to know every single thing about everything, but that's the powerful gift about the Holy Spirit within us, is he can quicken things to us through our spirit, man. So that's intuition. The next part of our spirit is communion. Communion is fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus, which you cannot have without the born-again experience and your spirit coming alive. So we all know the scripture, John chapter 3, about being born again. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and is asking how man can physically be reborn. How can a man re-enter his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus is telling him, it's not your physical man that's being reborn, but it's your spirit man. So when you become born again, your spirit is reborn and is made alive in Christ. Your old spirit died and is no more. You've been made alive in Christ. Okay, sinners, worldly people have spirits as well, but their spirits aren't born again. They're not made alive in Christ. And to have communion or fellowship, true intimate fellowship with God, with the Holy Spirit, we have to be born again. The definition of communion is an act or instance of sharing. It means to share. So to be in communion with God means you are in relationship with the Holy Spirit and you're sharing with him and he is sharing with you. So you're in direct fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You're in direct fellowship with God. Your spirit is the center of communion, not your brain. Again, I'll say that again. Your spirit is the center of your of communion with God, not your brain. So when we try to have communion with God, it needs to be from our spirit and not our brain. God does not respond to your brain. He does not respond to emotions. He responds to faith in your spirit or spiritual faith. First Corinthians 1 verses 20 through 21 says, Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 21, The world or men through wisdom did not know God. You do not Get to know God through your own personal intellect and wisdom. You come to know God through your spirit. <clears throat> this is why praying in the spirit and praying in tongues is so important. Because you, when you pray in tongues, you're praying from the spirit. 
sometimes when we pray in our own understanding, in our emotions, our own fleshly desires get in the way. But, again, God doesn't respond to emotions. He responds to faith. He responds to your spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives your spirit utterance. So he is sharing with your spirit. Your spirit your spirit is in direct communion and fellowship with God's Spirit. I cannot think of a closer communion than that. When you pray in tongues, you're connected spirit to spirit with God, with his Spirit. That's communion. That's fellowship. So, Dad, I need you to hold this for me. I got an example. I thought this out of this earlier today. So I got two lighters here. This is us trying to pray with our own intellect, our emotions, right? But when we hook up with the Spirit and we pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and we're connected together as one flame. We join with him as one together instead of trying to figure things out ourselves in prayer. So the Spirit of man is the light bulb of the Lord lighting all inward parts of the belly. So when we're in the Spirit, when we're praying in the Spirit, worshiping in the Spirit, we're connected one and one together with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. So we can have communion with God through prayer, through spending time in His Word, and our worship. John four twenty three through 24 says, But the hour is coming, and now is... When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit, in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Oftentimes we can try to amp ourselves up to worship, and all that ends up doing is creating an emotional response. But what I said earlier, God does not respond to emotion. He responds to faith. He responds to our spirit, our spiritual faith. So as we spend time in prayer, spend time in his word, as we spend time in our worship, let's all strive to have a greater communion with God and his spirit. Okay, so that's communion. We've gone over uh, first part of our spirit's intuition, and second part is communion. Now, the third part of our spirit is our conscience. It is your inner witness to the word of God. It's that part of part of you that feels convicted when you sin. Uh, the dictionary says it's the inner knowledge of right and wrong. Um, so how can worldly people sin so much do so many bad, wicked things, and yet still keep a good conscience. It's because their spirits have not been born again and made alive in Christ. They don't know good from bad, right from wrong, and if they do, their conscience just isn't bothered when they do bad. So a born-again person has a different idea about the whole of life than anybody else through his conscience that God has given him. Born-again Christians have that inner knowledge of right and wrong. Okay, You can get a seared conscience. You can start off as a born-again, spirit-filled believer, do great things, eventually start fading away from the faith. Um, and as you begin to live more and more and more in sin, your, 
your conscience gets seared and you become more accepting of sin. It just doesn't bother you as bad. So when I was younger, I can remember the little tiniest sins would just absolutely gut wrench me. Even if it wasn't me doing it, but I heard someone else doing it, it just instantly bothered my conscience. Um, as I got older, though, I got into high school, I got into college. I will gladly admit that I was not where I should have been spiritually. I was surrounded by worldly friends and you are who you hang around, right? So it's easier to fall in sins and different things. And the more that I was in sin, the more my conscience wasn't bothered, right? The more my conscience became seared. But thank God that God can spiritually revive us. 2019, 2020, he really did a work within me, spiritually revived me. And now I got that refreshed conscience again, right? So we should live in the spirit, and your spirit should be the king of your life. Romans 8, verse 16, The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's your conscience telling you that you are of God because the Holy Spirit has brought life within your spirit man. Your conscience can give you direction. It can determine a right course or a wrong course, or if you're in God's perfect will or not. So your conscience conscience not only tells you, you know, if you're right or you're wrong, it can tell you and direct you if you're in God's perfect will or not. Um, it can also tell you if you're... Uh, when you violate your conscience conscience's direction, that's a hard thing to say, you're violating part of your spirit. So that's something to think about. If you violate that direction within you, that direction from your conscience, that's violating part of your spirit. So real quick here, I want to read something in here about our conscience. Okay. So another thing about conscience, Dr. Lester Sumrall says, in Hebrews 9, verses 14, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? God will purge your conscience. Therefore, your conscience is the very seat of your faith. God will purge you of dead things and things that do not produce spirituality. Anything that does not produce spirituality in your life is a dead element. Everything within you that lives is of God. Everything that raises you up higher is of God. These things work through your spirit, man, not through your solical parts, not with your mind, your emotions, your will, and not with your body. The only work through your, they only work through your born again nature. First Timothy 1, 5, 8, Verse 19 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. So God wants you, through your conscience, to generate faith in your spiritual man. Your conscience is the center and heart of your faith. The center is not your mind. It's not your emotions. Faith runs deeper than that. Faith is generated in your spirit part. It flows from that spirit part into your Adamic Adamic nature. Parks, yeah. So can you start to see how important it is as Christians today to come into revelation, to come into understanding of our spirit man? Okay. 
Um, okay, so in closing, Caleb told me to keep it short, so hopefully I've kept it short enough for you. In closing, if we want to be the true last-day Christians and Frontline's church God has called us to be, we need to come into understanding of our spirit, and it must become king of our life. We must be led by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit in everything we do. In the day and age we live in, we cannot afford to be led by our emotions. We can't afford to worship God from an emotional standpoint or make decisions based off our own intellect. We must live in the Spirit. The Spirit must become kings of our lives. So again, in review, different three parts of our Spirit. Our intuition, that's... um, Let me just go back quick. Our intuition is knowing something without having to think about it compared to our soul, which we try to intellectually think and figure things out. Second part of our spirit is communion. Communion is fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus. We have communion with God, with His Spirit, through prayer, with worship, through the Word. And the third part is our conscience. Uh, It's that inner knowing and knowledge of right versus wrong. It will direct us and lead us to know God's perfect will. So one last thing I want to read that I found very striking and resembling to what we're going through right now. This is the last few pages of his book. I'm struggling. And it's titled, Be Ready. We were just singing that in prayer before this. Get ready, be ready. As Christians, you and I must prepare ourselves for the final attack of the enemy upon humanity. Does that not feel like what we're going through in this day and age? Think about COVID. Think about the election. Think about everything that has tried to divide us, tried to disrupt us. It's just a constant constant attack. I refer to it as our fathers before us, our grandfathers, our founding fathers, they were called to fight the physical fight. They were called to fight the physical wars, World War One, World War Two, all these other wars. This is the generation. We are called to fight this spiritual war we're in. So we need to know the weapons of our warfare. So according to the world, to the word, the devil is going to fight like a dying animal. He's going to do everything that he can possibly do in this last great attack. Man will be at the very center of this final great battle upon the face of this earth. The battle will be in the area of the spirit man. This is why it's so important to come to know and understand your spirit man. It is the part of man which has intuition to know God, to love God, and to serve God. It is the part of man that has conscience with which he gets to know the Most High God, to serve him and to worship him. The final great battle will very strongly be related to the spirit part of the human beings. I just find that extremely interesting. Who are the faithful? The Lord Jesus said in Luke 18.8, Will I find faith on the earth when I come? That means the spirit of a man, that means the spirit of man is going to be attacked. Something will try to destroy the spiritual faith of the human person. However, God's triumphant church will be able to fight the enemy and win in the spirit. And this church is that triumphant church. We are a part of 
part of God's triumphant church. He's calling us and preparing us for this battle. Millions of people give themselves over to demon worship. The whole of the occult world is an attack on the spirit man to steal his spirit away from God. Satan worship, astrology, and the zodiac that have become so popular in our world today are all part of this last great attack on the human spirit. Look at all these people who have been deceived by our culture, deceived by astrology, deceived by witchcraft and the occult. It's a fight. It's a battle over the man's spirit. Because if Satan can get hold of your spirit, you can't can't advance God's kingdom the way you should be able to, right? You're going to be a slave to Satan. The battle will be a spiritual battle to destroy the human spirit so that man will not be able to worship or serve God. Satan will come in such deceiving ways that many will not recognize him. His devices may seem so innocent, and yet they will trap men's spirits so that they will not be able to worship God. This is why it is so important that we learn to live in our spirit, man, and to keep constant and consistent fellowship with God. Every single day we need to be in the Word, we need to be in prayer, we need to pray in tongues, we need to worship. The more we do those things, the closer we will be. We will become to God. The harder it is for Satan to that, the harder it'll be for Satan to deceive us. We will win in the final battle if and only if we live with the Spirit as King and Jesus as Lord. By living in the Spirit, we become that triumphant Church against which the gates of hell cannot prevail, and the gates of hell will not prevail against this Church because we have revelation of our spirit man we have revelation of how to be led by the spirit so i just encourage all of you to take time when you're in public when you're by yourself take time to be sensitive to your spirit man be sensitive to your intuition the voice of your spirit spend time in communion and fellowship with god and listen to your conscience um yeah i'm trying to think if i have anything else think that's it so i'll pray here father god in jesus name i thank you for this time together tonight for helping us to grow in understanding and knowledge of you and your word and of our spirit lord i pray holy spirit that you would lead us and guide us in the days ahead and everything we do everywhere we go lead us by your spirit help us to become more aware of our voice of our spirit of our conscience and help us lord to continue to spend more time with you in communion every single day and fellowship with you, Lord. I thank you that you would lead and guide the people of Harvest Church every day, and I plead the blood of Jesus over every family, every, every member of this church, and declare and decree no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Lord, if you are for us, who can be against us? So I thank you for your leading. I thank you for helping us grow in wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of you and strengthening, strengthening us every day. And we just give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. How many have ever uh, come against or come up to something that stunk so bad? Have you ever, whether it was a skunk or you're out hunting? That's what it was like when I went into that restaurant. I was the first one in there. And I looked. The table was right by this man and this young girl. And it was just revolting. I just wanted to go the other way. And it was like my head didn't compute. And then I was, we, we were sitting there, and then all of a sudden Micah was going through all this, and, 
And uh, I couldn't figure out, you know, I did, he was doing stuff and talking. And then I real, then he shared, realized what was going on. So what that was was my inward man coming up against evil. And you're repulsed by it. And so that's good. We need to learn to be led by the Spirit. Amen. Well, that was excellent. Amen. Anything else announcement-wise? God bless you. Thank you. Have a good evening.